0: Hello, I'm Allison Sullivan, and this is Center Saint Sister, a podcast that dives into whatever we might be feeling that day. I love introducing you to people that you might not know, but should. And I love connecting you with people you may already know and love, and then letting them share how they have lived life deeply. If you hear something over the next hour or so that you think a friend would enjoy, please consider sharing this episode. And if you haven't already, please consider writing a review. All of those things help us grow the podcast, which is really helpful. I hope you hear something that lets you know you are loved and helps you love one another. Welcome to Center St. Sister. I was involved in a mom's group at our church. It was just a couple of women each time, led by a nun, a little on the serious side. There were no thrills, no frills. We looked at what the reading would be for the next week, and then Sister Joanne would ask probing questions to pry words out of our modest little mouths. We mostly sat around looking at our hands, silently begging for someone to please just offer something. Because my threshold for awkward is below sea level, it was always me, the hyper-friendly convert, driveling on and on. And I left annoyed with myself week after week, feeling like I'd probably talk too much. One day, Sister Joanne asked us to begin our lesson by closing our eyes and taking a few deep breaths. It was a little uncomfortable in such a small group, but Sister Joanne seemed to have no trouble with the artlessness of dragging people along. On our first big inhale, she said, breathe God in. And then on our exhale, she said to breathe love out. And over and over, she said it, breathe God in breathe love out. And just like that, through several inhalations and exhalations, our stiff group sat there experiencing God together as easy as the air we breathed. There was something about remembering our most basic function, side by side, practicing it in rhythm that made me want to reach for my neighbor's hand, rest my palm on her knee. We filled our lungs and we forgot our hesitation. Cheerful and willing, we went about our reading for that day I mean, no one got a lobotomy or anything. We were still us. But on the spectrum of silent, awkward, painful, our time together, it was much less scarring. It was nice. The breathing. It seemed to loosen something locked between us. Why? Was it because we shared something simple? I couldn't be sure. I was reminded of the yoga classes I had taken over the years, the ins and the outs, the oddity of experiencing solitude right next to another, and by God, the magic of oxygen. Without moving a muscle, I found myself practicing yoga that morning with Sister Joanne and my shame-faced sisters. Since that moment, when I first realized in a really tangible way that my creative soul is connected to this flesh and blood body, I've sought out too many different kinds of yoga classes to even count, and I have been certified to teach. When I first got certified to teach yoga, it was important to me to help people start a real yoga practice, something more than just coming into aligned poses— I wanted to help them on their path of self-discovery framed by a God who loved them. I wanted to encourage them to reclaim their fearfully and wonderfully made bodies. I wanted them to put aside any unkind judgment of their bodies with full understanding that they were a creation the Lord called good. And I wanted them to embrace with calmness right where they were that day and form a more friendly relationship with exactly who God called them to be. I wanted them to listen for God in the stillness— and adhere to what they heard there. My guest today, Joanne Spence, social worker, yoga instructor, therapist, we could have talked forever about the healing and transformation that happens when we slow down and breathe through what ails us. Joanne says that if she had to describe yoga in just two words, she would choose self-care and self-awareness, and I cannot wait for you to hear her perspective. I feel calmer already. You're going to love her hello joanne welcome to center saint sister um when i can't remember something um something that i should remember like maybe it's the details of a really important conversation and it's like i don't remember what anyone said but i know that it was important um i always chalk those moments up to a lot of uh, holy spirit you know um and so it's always it's always, if I can't remember something important, an indicator that the Holy Spirit was at work, and I am telling you true that I cannot remember how I came upon your book and your Instagram. I have no idea how it happened, but I'm so glad that it did. Welcome to Center State Sister. I'm so glad that you're here. <laughs>
1: Thank you. <laughs>
0: well, it seems like it's a
1: miracle. So thank I know. you.
0: Extra thank you. Exactly. It does. It feels a little miraculous. Um, so Joanne, you're a yoga instructor and you have taught everywhere from um, prisons to schools to studios to street corners. I knew that you were a girl after my own heart when I read that, that street corners <laughs> was a part of your repertoire because <laughs> I have definitely taught at an airport gate with a lot of people who needed to just breathe. (laughs) Um, But that made me just love you immediately. And um, you used to do social work and Mm -hmm. now you specialize in working with adults and children who are experiencing uh, chronic pain, trauma, depression, anxiety, ADHD, insomnia, and you use yoga to help you do that well. And you've written a book, which is wonderful, uh, Trauma-Informed Yoga, and it is all my pleasure to have you on the show. I cannot wait for this conversation. To introduce us to yourself, will you tell us a little bit about who and what you love?
1: Let's see. The who that I love is uh, my husband, Doug, of thirty-four years, and my three adult children, uh, Luca, Marin, and Jacob. And I love being in my body and connecting to breath and gentle movement and writing about and teaching that and leading experiences of that to people around me, even people that have think that they can't move or they've got two left feet or they feel uncoordinated or whatever the barrier is and showing them that indeed they can move their body and they can do yoga. Mm,
0: Yes, yes. Um, For me, yoga started because my body didn't feel like mine anymore. There was this season Mm -hmm. of my life where it's like I was having a baby, one baby per year. And um, I felt like I was living this really disconnected life and yoga was a reclaiming of something Mm -hmm. that was mine. And it was like, yes, I was offering it up. um, A lot of times very happily I was, I was offering it up, but I really needed those moments to prove that I was my own separate person and um, I actually <laughs> I went to yoga school and I was seven months pregnant and the whole time hmm. I was insisting on being just like everyone else you know I'm not sick I'm pregnant and I want to <laughs> do the thing I, it's like I needed to prove to myself that I was powerful you know and so I or, or that I could do this or that I, I but then once I got deeper into motherhood it shifted and my in my practice shifted um, because it became a silence and a stillness that I was craving and and so instead of you know this this powerful kind of act of rebellion um, you know to, to remind myself that I was powerful, it became um, a place to get away and learn to love silence, which is something that I feel like, you know, is often a discipline. Um, But it was then that I began to understand that my creative soul is connected to this flesh and blood body. And I really needed stillness in order to cultivate calmness in the midst Mm. of all of the things that I was doing at home. Um, Mm. I would love to hear how your practice started for you. Um, How did it begin? And where are you now?
1: Mm. Well, thank you. I'd love to share that, but I do have to comment on your pregnancy story and being in the training because the irony of what you just said, and the I think the, one of the most powerful thing we can do as women is to bear children mm-hmm. and to be in that process mm-hmm. and to um, understand the power of that yeah. and the embodiment Agreed. of that. So um, I was not pregnant. <laughs> I was. Um, at a time in my life with two young children and I had a really serious car accident and I uh, was unable to do any of the things in my life that I identified with being a a wife and a young mother and um, I was um, still a social worker then and it really I, I, I valued my health but I probably talked about being healthy rather than doing things that yeah, were healthy. I relate to that. And I'd had a long history of um, being a committed bike rider and um, being interested in in nutrition and 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 truly trying to be well. It was a think intellectual experience right. rather than actual. Mm-hmm. But it was in that space that um, this car accident happened, and it sidelined me for nearly two years. Mm-hmm and i mean i was fine and i had good medical care and and some of the best doctors and therapists but in that space i realized that despite getting the broken parts getting um mended that i wasn't well and that it was mm-hmm. i self-diagnosed myself with depression mm-hmm. um it was really difficult to reach out and i don't know It could be just as hard for helpers to ask for help. Mm -hmm. But I found myself in that space of um, desperation. Mm -hmm. And why aren't I getting better when I look fine? And it was a doctor kindly saying to me, um, you look just fine. You've made such a great recovery. Mm -hmm. Good for you. And I just broke down and finally admitted that I was not well. Mm -hmm. And chronic pain had set in and there was a lot of avoidance on my part and like i should be well and the guilt of like i've got all of this help and support what's what's wrong with me well that just the nature of pain and the journey of healing everybody's just different so it was in that space that i came across yoga because i'd never heard of it i'd never i didn't hang out with anybody that did (laughs) yoga wasn't it? it just wasn't in my uh on my radar and I was working at a health club teaching fitness and aquaerobics because that's the only thing that I could do in my recovery period. But I was like not breathing and uh, yeah. um, didn't have any concept of the role of the breath to my mental health, my physical health. And I certainly didn't like being still. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I went to this weekend yoga workshop because this club was paying for it, so we would like you to participate, and we need more yoga teachers. It was one of those weekend quickies, yeah. And it began a journey. And th- three days after that first experience, I was pain-free for the first time in two years. Wow! And I still didn't know what the heck it was that I had done and what this practice was about because they seemed really different from the other people I. At- wasn't bendy and I thought I yeah. was fit and I, and I wasn't, mm. um, but something shifted and I decided like sort of attuned to my own personality. That when I find something's really good, I want to share it with other people. And it led to me getting more training, opening yoga studios and all of those myriad of places you <laughs> mentioned <laughs> of, of, saying, I'm going to keep telling this message and until, Nobody wants to listen anymore. Oh, so that's how wow. I got into the practice. And it it's become a lifestyle now. Mm-hmm. And now I write more than I teach. I've mm-hmm. shifted that balance in mm-hmm. order to be able to teach. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there was a time where I would teach, I'm not going to say how many classes because it wasn't healthy, but many classes in a day, Mm -hmm. And I was doing that full time for a very long time. So I've shifted the balance and I've Mm -hmm. brought more of that balance Mm -hmm. back, which works better for my body, mind and my spirit.
0: Yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing all of that. You know, you say, um, you know, something shifted and I really I feel that I resonate with that. And there are so many things that are kind of hard to explain about yoga, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's, mm-hmm. it feels like magic. And um, it's like you you walk in one way and you leave another and there is something magical or divine or, or whatever you wanna call it about setting aside time to connect to this present moment and mm-hmm. to take really good stock of all that is and all that isn't and then focusing on the things that we can control, letting go yeah. of the things that we can't. And I leave mm-hmm. feeling changed in, in little ways and in little increments every mm-hmm. single time. Can you, because you've really made yourself a student on this and you're quite academic and scholarly, can you demystify this for us? What is happening <laughs> in those moments?
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it is magical. No. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it does feel like magic and, and maybe it's because we don't elevate and prioritize what the importance of setting aside time to care for yourself. Mm-hmm and what it means and what it looks like. And we think that we can get away with uh, not carrying ourselves in the way that only we can. So some of it, I think, is in the pace of uh, and the intention, and some of it is purely being in one's body and connecting to the breath. And yoga has a lot to say, about how we connect to the breath and it, it, as it turns out we're we're toning the vagal nerve and you know it's become a little more popular i didn't know i had a vagal nerve and i've been teaching yoga for 20 years i didn't know i had a vagal nerve. and the vagus nerve goes through the entire body it begins at the medulla at the brain stem and it it one it's sometimes called the wandering nerve or the superhighway it enervates the striated muscles in the face, the lungs, the um, heart, the gut. And so it moves all around the body. And there's even programs that address vagus stimulation that can deal with all sorts of physical mental health ailments. In addition to that, what a scientist named Stephen Portis has discovered that the most direct access to the vagus nerve and it has an immediate impact is the breath. So in understanding that, then there's a whole lot to say about the vagus nerve. But I think this one thing that's really important is this superhighway. So it's got information going from the brain to the body and the body to the brain And so we tend to think that the brain is in charge Mm -hmm. and that that's how we view things through cognition and how we think about things. Well, it turns out only 20% of the information through the vagus nerve, it goes from the brain to the body. It's 80% of information is coming from the body to the brain. And that to me was... Like, oh, when people say it's in your head, no, no, it's in your, it's Can in your I, body. I,
0: I want to interrupt really quick just to say that I will often say in yoga, um, your body knows things that you don't know. <laughs> and I never realized that that, <laughs> I just thought I was being like, you know, a little woohoo and and yeah. it, that sounded right. But like, oh my goodness, that yeah. is fascinating. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for that um quick science lesson. You know, I'll often refer to the magic of oxygen, too. you know? and And I didn't know a lot of of what you just said, And yet I know with my bones that it's true. Um, aside from the scientific aspect, there's just a lot to say about stillness and silence and bring we live such disconnected lives. And we bring those things everything all at once into harmony, which is probably how it's supposed to be and how it works the best. And so we connect all of ourselves and then we have these quiet moving prayers and there's so many benefits. Um, What are the biggest emotional or spiritual changes that you've seen in yourself and in your clients?
1: I think um, this is true for many people, many of the clients and students that I've had in my classes which was similar for me is that we had two switches and it was on and off. So either on and moving yeah. usually at speed and off on the nods or like just exhausted and mm-hmm. going to sleep. Yeah. And I, I think the most important part of the yoga practice is the end part, the Shavasana resting
2: mm-hmm.
1: corpse pose and Honestly, I just thought it was a big waste of time. <laughs> who, the, who the heck has right. time to be doing that? And it turns out that this space of resting and being aware, not sleeping or napping, yeah. but this restful place of alert awareness and mm-hmm. the body is relaxed, so mm-hmm. the mind's alert, the body's relaxed, was something I had never experienced. Or if I'd ever experienced I, I, it, I would missed it didn't recognize it and I realize now that that is not uncommon. And so I was teaching I'd learned intellectually how to teach this part of the class and and my husband and I would have jokes let's have a workshop on Shavasana we'll just have everybody laying that Well it turns out all these years later that's exactly what we what w- where I've landed. but at the time I thought it was a joke because I'd never experienced it in my body right And then one day, after years of practice and teaching, I went to a yoga class, which I highly recommend that yoga teachers do that yes, every week. Yes. And I felt alert but relaxed. And I just started crying. Mm, yes. And it wasn't like sobbing. It was just uh-huh. these quiet tears of oh my God, I just experienced something mm. that I've that's unfamiliar to me. Yeah yeah that's why people come to yoga
0: yeah i mean it's it's only in stillness that i can really even know what i'm what i'm up against and, and how i feel about it or or which emotions are getting the better of me it's only mm. in that carving out of time and our culture is so mm. averse to it um you know it's like if if, if we allow ourselves to linger you know linger mm. just by definition is mm-hmm. is allowing time and Mm -hmm. and that time will be filled by the world Mm -hmm. you know we Mm -hmm. have we live in this culture that's really um, about crossing things off of a a to-do list or processing more information or achieving more things and so lingering just that lingering can be a real enemy to our world and we linger over what we love and we love what we linger over it's i had this moment the other night i was i had my little girl's face and i was staring we our eyes were kind of harnessed the way that people who Mm -hmm. are comfortably in love can do you know Mm -hmm. and and it's very few people when you think about it in the world that you can just like (laughs) gaze into one another's eyes with comfort Mm -hmm. and 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 the word linger that word came to me uh, and its importance you know i want to linger over this i want to stay with this for a moment and fall deeper you know in love like how many things in our lives aren't getting the attention Mm -hmm they need. I love Mm -hmm. I love your answer about just the simple stillness of it Mm -hmm. all. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's hard. It is hard. hard. It's a discipline. Um, What do you have to say? I feel like? um, Do you have anything to say about perfectionism? Because um, I, (laughs) I struggle with this, my own self, Mm. it's like, I'm either 100% or not, I'm good, because I don't really like Mm a work in progress, I don't like anything halfway. And there's something about yoga that's helped me embrace a lack of perfectionism because my physical body won't even allow it. Like I am probably pretty competitive by nature, but I have scoliosis and in a yoga room, I have to let it go. There is no perfection in yoga for me. Um, Do you have any thoughts on, is that something that you, because when you were talking about a difficulty in standing still and all these, you know, I'm like, I feel, Like we might be kindred spirits and this might be something for you too.
1: Yeah. I had to kiss that one goodbye and let it go. Um, And I don't know that I'm a good example of someone who is really attached to perfectionism, but I see it all the time Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and it's really paralyzing. It is often to being able to, to be who you are. And so we have a saying in our house and I've heard it from a, a teacher of mine. It's like, is the good enough mother home? Because I would rather wear the superwoman t-shirt. I have the t shirt. I identify with her. Yes. And she got sick and exhausted in mm. on being a yoga teacher and running yoga studios and a yoga nonprofit and um and life, raising three children. I'm not discounting those other things. And taking one's own medicine, especially in this field, and being able to look those things in the eye and recognize the things that are holding us back or things that maybe served us in a time. I mean, Mm. if I'm having heart surgery or some, I want my surgeon to have an element of perfectionism (sighs) in their craft. As a yoga teacher and a writer, not so much. Yeah and so there's a way and a pathway when those things are necessary and i
0: love that wow. the good enough
1: mother is she yeah. her
0: yeah wow i love that that there because what you're telling me is that that part of me that yearns for that there are spaces where it's appropriate it's just not this one Oh, that's so great. That gives a lot of permission. I feel like a lot of yoga for me is about I mentioned a little bit earlier embracing a present moment. You know, there's nothing that we can effectively change except the present moment. And so a lot of times there's a there's a resistance to that change. And so if something is going well and then change comes, we're upset. Or if something is not going well and change isn't coming, we're upset. And so we're often imposing our own time frames on change, and there's something about my practice that allows me, um, freedom in whatever's coming, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and
1: sometimes the present moment sucks so much. We don't want to be in it.
0: Yeah. 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 <laughs> and so we, so when, so we're not, and... but even that like leaning into yoga gives space for me to lean into the things that if I weren't setting aside that time and space, I would avoid, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, I can tell myself that, um my trickier emotions, whether it's confusion or doubt or anger, um, if I don't lean into those things and give them the space that they need and then invite them to go on. You can go now. You've shown me what I what I need to know. You've shown me what might need fixing yeah. by my anger mm-hmm. or what might need cleared up by my confusion or um mm-hmm. better explained by my doubt. Whatever. And and okay, I, I know that now and now you can leave um i am wondering you mentioned something that i thought was fascinating and you called it dialectic yes this is sounding familiar and so it's holding two things that are opposite but both true at the very same time can you talk about how that shows up in practice often
1: yeah, I was referring to a style of therapy um, that was the therapy of choice at the psychiatric institution that I worked at for nearly 10 years. So it's a term in therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy, that Kim is um, the founder of that is Marsha Linehan. I was using it in the context of the synthesis of opposites. So on one hand, this radical acceptance of self, of who you are. And on the other hand, this ability and need to change, and particularly as that relates in mental health field, um, you think about that in um, addiction, recovery, and um, this is usually the hardest work any of us have to do, is this radical self-acceptance on one hand. And this is part of accepting the beloved, This Mm -hmm. the the nature of Mm -hmm. of who we are Mm -hmm. and at the same time that there's some destructive elements in how we're operating and in order to live and live into this self and the beloved this change that's necessary
0: yeah it's really it's really freeing Um, I feel like that just kind of happened just now. I like uh, the little bit of therapy that you gave me about perfectionism is that (laughs) that's not all bad. That's not all bad, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I love when, when, when conflicting things show up at the same time and we make space for all of it. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of, I'm, I'm thinking of, um, the things that compete in, in my yoga practice is like, this is uncomfortable, but good for me. You know and not mm-hmm. not painful but this is mm-hmm. this is discomfort but change is on the other side of of mm-hmm. that discomfort and so we're so you know we're usually averse it's like oh, yeah I, comforts usually our love language um similarly there's times where it's like in that space i'm remembering things that i already knew you know it's mm-hmm. a it's a time to remember and yet that feels like discovery and those things kind of feel like opposites a little bit. So things things like that come up all the time. And I, it's mm-hmm. like losing our balance to find it. You know, we need to lose mm-hmm. our balance. That's that's mm-hmm. good. That's okay. Um, mm-hmm. So you use an awareness of trauma um, to lead yoga, and you use yoga to assist you in talk therapy. Can you educate us a bit on the need and effectivity of trauma-informed yoga? And then I'd love to hear specifically what a trauma-informed yoga class should look and sound and feel like?
1: Yeah. So I'm talking about trauma-informed as a methodology, as a universal practice, as a way of being. And that's simply offering choices, inviting people to practice, to try something. Because let's face it, if you're teaching a yoga class, we're doing some Things that are that seem a little odd sometimes. Sure. And so we're doing things that will help to decrease someone's body self-consciousness. Yeah. Because um, we're not usually, you know, several feet from someone with your butt in the air or making these like funny sighing noises. Or, but it's our body, mm-hmm. and bodies do these things. Mm-hmm. And there's a way to do that that's as an invitation. And it's always okay to not do those things, even in a yoga class that you're paying for, that there's a good peer pressure to do things. And when that that invitation is heartfelt and sincere and gives permission for someone to not do what the rest of the class is doing, that is agency, that is self-care and it's a hallmark of what a trauma-informed class would look like.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: and And then very simple things like the pace of the class. Mm. But even something like a vinyasa flow that many people enjoy, I think that can be taught in a trauma-informed way that slows down the pace of the class, that there are fewer words in the instructions given mm. and things like Um, some lineages promote the use of hands-on assists
2: Mm -hmm. and
1: I am a a fan of healing touch but as a yoga teacher and teaching in institutions and public spaces I make it a point of not touching people and using the tone of my voice uh, the, the very tone of my voice to be a regulating force mm-hmm. with that person rather than my hands. Mm-hmm. I think that's really important to hold that space, particularly in the environment that we live in, to offer that sense of safety mm-hmm. with our voice and our words. And we can do that. We can do that as leaders. As anytime you step on your mat as a yoga teacher, you are leading others and owning that space of leadership in a very kind and respectful way and wearing your the power that comes with being a teacher teacher of any sort comes with it a power differentiation and being able to uh, step into that in a kind respectful way then people will follow even if you're asking them to do things that look silly because you're you you can still offer it with dignity. And it's about offering people dignity of how they can live in their body. It doesn't matter what my body can or can't do. It's helping others to see and finding that that sense of dignity and agency with and in themselves. And some people, I've seen them just light up from a simple connection of breath to movement of a simple inhaling the hands up, exhaling them down. And they're like, am I really doing yoga? I'm like, I'm going to go out on a limb here and you are doing Ugh. yoga. And you, you can tell anybody that I said, so your yoga teacher said you are doing yoga. Yeah. Oh,
0: that's so, awesome. That's really beautiful. I think beautiful.
1: That, that's the, they go away uh, knowing that they participated in something that was sacred yeah. to them.
0: yeah. Um, you mentioned in your book, how just the statement you are safe here Mm -hmm. will often elicit visceral, um, responses in people, um, very physical responses to the, to those words, Mm -hmm. um, either because they believe you and relax or don't tense (laughs) up. Um, but similarly, I will say in my class that nothing in yoga happens without your permission and Mm -hmm. you can feel, you can litter or just to, a. um, a room full of women who are doing a thousand things it's, you know, saying no, one's rushing you along, you know, Mm -hmm. and you, you can feel, you can literally Mm -hmm. feel the energy shift in the room of this exhale of relaxation. I mean, our words matter, our Mm -hmm. tone of voice matters. Um, can you talk about a little bit like more specifically the power of atmosphere? I'm just curious what I would love to take a yoga class from you. Do you use music? What, are, what, what, what about the power of atmosphere?
1: Uh, I've used music very often over the years. And as I've moved more into teaching people, um, especially veterans and people with traumatic brain injuries and people with active PTSD, I've chosen to not use music. Mm. And I found that I was really tied to the music. Yeah, (laughs) I think I would be too. uh, um, And I had a bit of a learning curve of letting it go and being okay with the silence. Mm -hmm. But I've worked in enough institutional spaces where it's nearly impossible to have your playlist or to be able to have the technology Mm -hmm. work. And now i've grown accustomed to the silence and that's uh, been good for my my growth Mm -hmm. um and so now i really will think about um when i'm in a particular space what is going to be most helpful for this group so we might do just at the end i'll bring in a a lovely instrumental piece that's in a um a 60 to 90 beats per minute just for uh a a, a time of um quiet meditation but i will f- flirt with the silence because yeah. if people are actively in ptsd they um, usually unable or it's contraindicated to um to ask people to be with their thoughts and to be in the silence it's not um they're not able to uh-huh. and certainly that was my experience for mm-hmm. a long time i've enjoy being in my head but being yeah. alone with my thoughts was sometimes was really scary sure. and i yes. needed to know and have the tools to bring myself back mm-hmm. so yes i i will use music very occasionally but i've i feel like i've graduated myself to a place where i can tolerate the silence and mm-hmm. i can hold and create space with my words yeah and pauses So being able to have a pause, it does a lot of heavy lifting of being Mm. comfortable with a pause. Yeah. And then you can introduce somebody that that might be difficult. They can usually tolerate a pause. And we're we're working on expanding somebody's tolerance. Mm -hmm. And that's a a lesser known benefit of yoga is being able to tolerate Mm a pause, mm-hmm. being able to tolerate maybe it feels like sadness is going to rush in or mm-hmm. rage. And they, mm-hmm. they may well be there, but we're expanding someone's ability to tolerate
2: yeah.
1: um, those those challenging emotions and that they will go. They come and mm-hmm. they go. It doesn't feel like that at first. Right. So there's a real art and a dance to introducing a pause and being a, able to elongate that. And then there's the more, the sounds of things like the bowls, playing the, the singing bowls mm-hmm. yes. or the, the big crystal bowls and um, introducing somebody to the sound um, vibration as, yes. as healing. Without it, it's actually, it sounds really woo-woo and it isn't. <laughs> Um, the vibration of the voice, and then the vibration of even like a a percussion instrument, like a hang pan. Mm-hmm. I'm playing with my yeah. air, air, playing my air hang pan here. Um, there's a particular resonance and frequency of those sounds mm-hmm. um, that uh, are, are acting upon the nervous system in a very particular mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Uh, for that therapeutic purpose that even when someone wouldn't have said, oh, yeah, I really like that particular sound, it's resonating and doing something in them without even a conscious awareness. And I love that. About- I feel
0: like that's being normalized now with ASMR and, and the things that people are, are seeking out um, to, mm-hmm. to relax themselves or to meditate or to go to sleep or or whatever. Mm-hmm. While you were talking, I was thinking about how yoga can often – teach me that um, while I'm in discomfort, um, it doesn't last long. I mean, it might, mm-hmm. it might last longer than I'd like, but either mm-hmm. I get stronger or something changes. And so mm-hmm. leaning in, in this risk-free space to those difficult emotions, just for a moment. And mm-hmm. I love what you said about building up stamina for that. That's that's mm-hmm. really, that's really powerful. Um. So Joanne, my son goes to an urban middle school with very diverse, um, racial and socioeconomic populations and so there's there's a lot of tension and um and then over the last several years we've thrown covid and quarantine on on top of an already difficult situation um and so kids were alone for you know almost two years while their parents are working you know two jobs and um then we we threw all of them together in a building um, thousands of them. It was like the worst social experiment ever and be like, well, let's see how it goes. And um, and it's going terribly. Last year, I can say pretty confidently, I think there was at least one fight per day. Mm-hmm. And um, with all you and I know about emotional regulation, I am dying to have a meeting with a principal and explain the idea of some required class, (laughs) Um, maybe just 30 minutes, where we breathe and talk and journal and stretch and get some silence and peace. And I feel so certain of its success. And yet it feels like a pipe dream. And then I see that you have done this. (laughs) I, you have made this a reality. Talk to me. How did you do it? How does it look?
1: Well, um, I decided working in a, a yoga studio was not enough. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that I, as a social worker, I wanted to teach people to breathe and move. And the, um, I'd often work with underserved populations, and they were unlikely to come into my lovely main street yoga studio and pay money right. to right. move and breathe. And so that's where the German, the idea for yoga in schools came. Yeah. And I got a call from a principal one day who said, um, I heard you teach children, please come to my school and we want yoga instead of PE. And I'm like, what a great idea. <laughs> and so that started me on a journey of, Oh, well, can I lose their money for that? Will people pay for that? And the answer was yes, maybe. And but in forming a nonprofit, we we're able to get grant funding and some very generous foundations in Pittsburgh that cared deeply about the residents of southwestern Pennsylvania contributed money to start a pilot program. And then people like the Heinz Endowment were sent convinced that this would be a good thing for public school teachers and for PE teachers. And we
0: grew from there.
1: And it turns out that PE teachers make excellent yoga teachers.
0: Yeah. Wow. Oh, my goodness. So you you have a nonprofit organization that does just that. It's called Yoga in Schools. Mm-hmm. Okay. How can we support you or find that? Well, we have a website,
1: yogainschools.org. And... We sometimes offer trainings. Um, as I mentioned, it's uh, I've moved more into writing about those right. experiences than teaching them. Um, but we're because we're small and lean and mean in our operations, uh, we just hold space to say yes, this is possible, and we've written about that. We've got free resources that that teachers or parents can access and offer principles like we have. There's a model, and there's many models. Uh, we happen to be one that focused on training teachers and PE teachers, Now it's called the Train the Trainer Model. And there's a white paper, free white paper on our website where, where we've written and um, cite other resources. Um, there's a great book um, on Amazon called Best Practices for Yoga in Schools, and I'm a contributor to, to, that, to that book. And it brings together some of the um the best children's yoga teachers in the country saying this is what works this is what um, these are best practices to think about for the very conversation to prepare you for that conversation with the principal
0: okay i'm diving in and i'm gonna keep you posted I'm diving in and I'm giving all credit to you and I'll let you know how it goes. I am (laughs) cheering for you. (laughs) Thank you. I feel so passionately about this. Um, Lastly, Joanne, I really wanted to discuss faith with you. I know that you practice yoga secularly um, with, perhaps the ma- majority of your clients, of course, yoga has Hindu roots. Um, but you and I both happen to be Christians and use yoga as a way of prayer to commune with God who loves us just as we are. Um, how has yoga deepened your faith life?
1: Oh, so many ways. And we don't have time to tell you all I know, of those ways. I know it, but, but this might be 20, a whole other
0: episode, by the way, <laughs> it, may,
1: it may be, um, 20 some years ago, um, i um found a book called prayers of heart and body or prayer of heart and body uh yoga as a christian spiritual practice by father tom ryan he was a catholic priest and it was the first time i'd heard of the of the words um christian spiritual practice uh with yoga and i read the book And then started calling to try and find out. I have to talk to this man. And finally I tracked him down at his home in he was living in New York City then. And we had a great conversation. And he introduced me to a group. He was like, I have this retreat coming up. I'm like, retreat? (laughs) I had three young children, jumped right in and Every other year for the last twenty-two years, I've been meeting in a, with this group that's now called Christians Practicing Yoga, mm-hmm. and I've found a, a tribe and a community mm. of people who um, haven't felt the need to Christianize the practice. We we oh. uh, are um, we're good with the roots of yoga being as they are and studying the the um, those um, sacred texts of the and what does that mean for us a coming together of coming to God with our bodies? Like God has come to us
2: mm.
1: and praying together and wow. worshiping with our whole bodies and meditating together twice daily practices. We do that for a whole week and then we share together and we learn about different uh, yoga practices that resource us as yoga teachers and as followers Um, God lovers and um, people that are probably both religious and spiritual Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. to really dig deep into what does that mean and where in our liturgies do we move? What are the embodied parts that are already there that we didn't know and appreciate? And where are parts that we could um, take our practice, our yoga practice and, Acknowledge that the body is alive and well, and that God has a lot to say about our bodies, mm-hmm. and and that He sent His Son in a body, and that that's scandalous, mm-hmm. and we can celebrate mm-hmm. that scandal together.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so that's where it sort of all weaves in, and it's changed. It's changed me. It's changed my prayer life. It's given me that place of an in for the stillness, and that be still and know that I'm God, mm-hmm. because I couldn't understand or relate to that i Mm -hmm. couldn't focus my prayers my yoga practice over time has sort of rubbed off some of those rough edges that Mm -hmm. allow me to be in this space of being with my maker yeah i didn't know how to do that i heard it in my formation i just didn't know how to how that could be in my body and i've learned how to be with God and to be to be still and know through my yoga practice. There's a lot more I could say but of course, yeah. I learned it through these folks coming together and Catholics and Protestants coming together. And yoga is union. And I'd not been in spaces where where I felt that union and to learn from each other's practices and be together and to pray together and practice together. That's changed my, that's changed my life.
0: Mm. Wow, inhale, let your kingdom come, exhale, let my kingdom go. I am just gonna follow you around if that's okay. I'm just gonna (laughs) oh i'm so happy to meet you joanne you're so special and i'm so thrilled that i happened upon you um i love even love that that i don't know how um i love that it feels mysterious and ordained and i'm Mm -hmm. certain that it was um yoga transports my soul and through it i discover what i'm made of and there was this period of life where i felt a little afraid to find out but careful and kind instructors like you um help me know that even If I don't like what I find, I'm powerful and can change it. So thank you so much for all that you do to make this world a more peaceful place. We so desperately need it. Um, Can you tell us where to find you on socials? And then I'm gonna put a link in show notes to everything that you have written. And then the two websites that you brought up, Yoga in Schools and Christians Practicing Yoga. But where can we find you on social media to follow along?
1: Great. I also have my own website, joannespence.com. That's dot com. J O A N N E spence.com dot com. On Instagram, which I barely know how to how to click in <laughs> it's joann.e.spence. dot okay. e And I'm even on TikTok, but I put
3: all of that <laughs> on my socials.
1: Um I think I'm yoga mama or maybe I'm Joanne Spence, but that tells you how much I'm paying attention to that. <laughs> well, you uh, don't you can- give
0: yourself enough credit. I've seen the reels, <laughs> you're doing a great job.
1: <laughs> well, I, I I post them across multiple platforms. So, And on Facebook, Joanne Spence, um, I think there's just me. And yeah, I love hearing from people and I try and release a short practice every Thursday so people can follow along. It's usually two and a half minutes because I want to show people that anybody can do this and it's it's simple to do.
0: Thank you a million times over. Yes, you will. That's a guarantee. Um, Thank you so much for coming on the show. I hope you'll come back. Thank you,
1: Alison. It's been a pleasure.
0: Hello, Beef. How's it going? How's it going? Good. Really good.
3: Um, okay. Thanks. Joanne Spence. Joanne. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could feel that woman's peaceful spirit mm-hmm. radiating off of the screen. It was, mm-hmm. um, she is really, really special. I am so glad you found she her really wherever is. you found her. I know. I just <laughs> happened upon her. I'm so grateful. So yeah. good. Um, okay. I have to tell you though, I could not make this up. So to listen to this episode, I like tried to set some quiet time for myself, right? Just to listen and be alone. My big kids and my husband were outside and the baby was asleep. I lit a candle, turned on the episode. I was like listening, considering a bubble bath. Um, and then for the first time in her short little life, our foster daughter lost her ever loving mind oh, beat. Like, oh no. like that infant <laughs> cry that's like, <laughs> Like, so loud. Nailed it. Uh, And of course, you know, everybody's outside, so I had to go get her. But I was determined to listen. So I just keep increasing y'all's volume over her. Um, So basically, y'all are screaming over her screaming. And right at that moment is when you guys started talking about the importance of lingering. (laughs) I, like, literally laughed out loud. Um, I hate it. But the idea of lingering right now is, like... An impossibility. Right, right. But I
0: I do not think that that is a coincidence at all because I know so many people, myself included, I think even Joanne, who have discovered yoga within their motherhood. We are
3: driven to Savasana. (laughs) Well... (laughs) Driven to daytime drink, driven to Sabasana, <laughs> to right <in> tomato. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Samesies. Samesies. Well, listen, that, I, hold on. I have something to say about that because I know you're kidding and like that's hilarious, but kind of not, right? Because how many people, m- I mean, myself included guilty, have linked relaxation with alcohol? Like instinctively to, in order to relax, in order to, you know, to get this feeling that I'm after, I'm going to reach for that. And I'm going to crave that instead of some healthy mechanism, you know, for slowing down and engaging our feelings and moving our body and trying our best to be present and letting oxygen do its thing. It's, you know, we have these vices. Yeah,
3: it's so true. Um, And there's like so many ways to reach for the wrong thing, right? Like, Mm -hmm. But when you look under any vice or addiction, whether it's food or alcohol or love or screens, whatever it is for you, um, I think the catalyst is always the same, which is I want to feel different. I don't like Mm. this and I want to do something else and feel something else.
0: Yes. And every single thing that you just mentioned as a vice is really an act of avoidance, right?
3: Right. And then yoga is an act of
0: leaning in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really good. Which Mm. if you're going to lean in that's the only real authentic way to actually feel different, right? Is like this acknowledgement and then this healing, not sidestepping,
3: you know? It's really good. Um, Okay, well, can I mention something else that's not really worth mentioning? Uh, Yes, please. (laughs) (laughs) I was like... So captivated by her voice. It was mm. so calming. I mean, mm-hmm. prior to when I had you guys on Max Volume, um, just the case <laughs> of her voice was, it's just, it's like relaxing and engaging and peaceful. All yeah. Around.
0: And an Australian accent does not hurt a thing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, except beef. Hold on, like that's like not not worth mentioning because it's actual science. Like I felt like she did a pretty good job of like explaining all these things that happen to our our nervous systems. You know, it's our bodies know our bodies know what they need, and then they recognize it when they're getting it. And then if we would just allow some time for that self awareness, you know that um. I don't know, just ability to just stop, be still, get what we need, let our let our nervous system just receive, then mm-hmm. we can unfreeze some emotions, we can not be hijacked by our thoughts, we can start to train our minds towards peace or whatever and meet ourselves with some in compassion you know and just become a student of our own experience in this world I left that conversation so renewed and and re, like reinvigorated to go practice you know to yep. do the things that I, that
3: I know I need to do and hardly ever do yep and maybe me want to take one of your classes again, beefP
2: mm-hmm. um, remember
3: yeah. I'm like one of my favorite things about your class is that at the end you co- or you did when you came to my church you went around to everybody and put um, like aromatherapy oils on each person with, Mm -hmm. with their permission. Mm -hmm. Um, and I can remember, I can remember exactly where I was laying and just like being struck by how surprisingly like soothing and nurturing that felt. Mm -hmm. It was just like such a moment because it probably shouldn't have been so profound, but it was something that I really, really needed. Um, Yeah.
0: I, so I end each class with, I, I ask permission. I'm like, just rest your hands off your, on your belly. If you don't want me to touch you and I take no offense at all. And then I do a really simple, just kind of foot adjustment. It's just a little, and, um, and I had a dear friend say, she said it with a lot of vulnerability. Um, she said, I think it might be one of the only examples of holy touch that I've experienced in my life. And wow. it was, it was really, pr- and people always talk about that moment, just that end moment of, of nurture. Yeah. Wow. It's powerful.
3: Okay. Beef, beefy accountability partners. Okay. I really want you to stay on me, to sign up for a yoga class in my community mm-hmm. So that I can try to find space to linger mm-hmm.
2: um, for Done, you. Yes. I want to
3: encourage you to make yoga happen at your kiddo's school. I love that idea. Okay. Yes. I'm I love really it. It's a that. deal. Yeah. Okay. okay. Awesome. Promise.
0: Beefy pinky promise. Bye <laughs> love beef. You. Love you. Thank you so, so much for listening. Thank you for being here. A very special thank you to all guests and sponsors. A really special thank you to Taylor Schroll for mixing and editing. For more content, you can head over to Instagram at Allison M. Sully and TikTok at Sullivan Family TikTok. You can also check out Forte Catholic and subscribe there where you have a 25% chance of hearing me co-host. I am so grateful for all of the love and support that we offer each other here. Today's show was a production of Allison Sullivan in conjunction with the Forte Catholic Podcast Network. For more great Catholic podcasts, head on over to ForteCatholic.com slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.